Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Frank Marshallek. Coming up later in today's episode, we learn about the EcoBlitz Wildlife Survey Program monitoring biodiversity and bat populations in Indiana, which discovered a new species of bee. We also get details about an upcoming forest protection roundtable as environmental correspondent Zero Rose speaks with Stephen Stewart, the Hoosier National Forest Program Director for the Indiana Forest Alliance. And now for your environmental reports. A letter to the Indianapolis Business Journal outlined something that would improve Indiana. The letter was written by Larry Clements, Indiana State Director of the Nature Conservancy, in response to the recent article entitled, Indiana lawmakers could further dilute state wetlands protections following SCOTUS decision by Casey Smith. The article did a great job of citing the benefits of wetlands, particularly their ability to catch and hold excess stormwater. As storms intensify throughout Indiana with each passing year, this is a benefit we cannot live without. What the article failed to mention is how strongly Hoosiers reacted two years ago against the General Assembly's threat to remove all state regulation of wetlands. Polling shows a majority of Hoosiers favor sensible regulatory protection of this critical resource, yet let wetlands remain a target of developers with powerful connections. It'll take a strong and sustained effort from Hoosiers across the state to ensure that we don't lose these important natural assets. The New York Times reported a story about the fires on Maui that has a good outcome. Jennifer Pribble was asleep when the power line fell in the forest. She heard the generator kick in but didn't think much of it. High winds sometimes led to electricity failures. It was normal enough. Wildfires were not even on her radar. Ms. Pribble lives at the Maui Bird Conservation Center, where she helps care for some of the most critically endangered birds in the world. Hawaii's native birds have been decimated by disease fueled by climate change and by introduced predators like rats. The center keeps some 80 birds in enclosures in an effort to prevent their extinction. On Monday night, Ms. Pribble was the only staff member at the center, one of two in Hawaii managed by the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. As she slept, a downed line appears to have started a fire in the pine forest nearby. Several hours later, at about 3 a.m., Ms. Pribble awoke again, this time to the thud of a large branch hitting the roof. Still unaware of the fire, she worried it might have damaged the building and went onto the back porch to check. The sky was orange and there was smoke in the air, like out in the forest, Miss Pribble said. She went outside to see what was happening and saw flames about 150 feet from the edge of the property. She called 911 and was told the fire department knew about the ablaze and was assessing. The center houses about 40 akikiki, a native songbird, and about 40 alale, also known as the Hawaiian crow. 
Alale are extinct in the wild, and only about five akikiki are known to remain there. The only other members of these species live at the center's sister facility on the Big Island, said Emily Senninger, a spokeswoman for the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. The birds are divided between both places to ensure against disasters such as this one, but until now they thought volcanic eruptions and hurricanes were the biggest dangers. As Miss Pribble watched the fire in the distance, she felt reassured that it was in the forest where a bed of thick pine needles seemed to be making it hard for the flames to spread. For a time, they actually reduced in size, but she grew increasingly worried as fire approached grasses closer to a road. If it crossed, she thought, the grasses on the 46-acre property would provide ample fuel. It's pretty dry, she said. Rising temperatures appear to be contributing to reduced rain in Hawaii, climatologists say, and more than a third of Maui County is in moderate or severe drought. A neighbor came over to see what was going on, and while he was there, the fire started climbing the hillside toward them. All of a sudden, basically, the fire jumped the road, and it was on the property, she said. Ms. Preble ran inside to get two fire extinguishers extinguishers to douse the flames, but she worried it would happen again. She raced back in for more extinguishers and a garden hose. She texted the forest manager saying she needed assistance. We just went out and kept it under control the best that we could, just so it didn't cross back over the road until the state firefighters could arrive. She didn't think about how the birds she was protecting were among the last of their kind, she said. She just acted, doing all she could to keep the facility safe. State firefighters arrived about 40 minutes later as as fast as possible, she said, given the distance involved. The forest is still smoldering, and occasionally flames will rekindle, but firefighters have it contained, she said. Luckily, the smoke mostly blew away from the birds, which were moved to the safest enclosures and appear to have escaped any harm. I'm just in shock that all this has happened, Ms. Pribble said. Now that we see the scale of things on the island of Maui, we're very lucky that it wasn't any worse. According to the New York Times, the clean energy future is arriving faster than you think. The U.S. is pivoting away from fossil fuels and towards wind, solar, and other renewable energy, even in areas dominated by the oil and gas industries. Across the country, a profound shift is taking place that, nearly, that is nearly invisible to most Americans. The nation that burned coal, oil, and gas for more than a century to become the richest economy on the planet as well as the historically most polluting, is rapidly shifting away from fossil fuels. A similar energy transmission is already well underway in Europe and elsewhere, but the United States is catching up and globally change is happening at a pace that is surprising even to the experts who track it closely. Wind and solar power are breaking records and renewables are now expected to overtake coal by 2025 as the world's largest source of electricity. Automakers have made electric vehicles central to their business strategies and are openly talking about an expiration date on the internal combustion engine. Heating, cooling, cooking, and sometimes manufacturing are moving towards electric. As the planet registers the highest temperatures on record, rising in some places to levels incompatible with human life, governments around the world are pouring trillions of dollars into clean energy to cut the carbon pollution that is broiling the planet. We look at energy data on a daily basis, and it's astonishing what's happening, said Faith Byrell, the executive director of International Energy Agency. Clean energy is moving faster than many people think, and it's becoming turbocharged lately. More than $1.7 trillion worldwide is expected to be invested in the technologies such as wind, solar, power, 
electric vehicles and batteries globally this year, according to the IEA, compared with just over $1 trillion in fossil fuels. That is by far the most ever spent on clean energy in a year. We in Indiana are unaware of this rapid development as it's as it's as if the state has fallen decades behind. The legislature forbids the mention of climate change and refused to deal with a petition signed by 20,000 high school students calling for climate change legislation. That many Republicans receive campaign funding from industries in the coal business explains their actions. A New York Times article says during a summer of scorching heat that has broken records and forced Americans to confront the reality of climate change, conservatives are laying the groundwork for a future Republican administration that would dismantle efforts to slow global warming. The move is part of a sweeping strategy dubbed Project 2025 that Paul Danz of the Heritage Foundation, the conservative think tank organizing the effort, has called a battle plan for the first 180 days of a future Republican presidency. The climate and energy provisions would be among the most severe swings away from current federal policies. The plan calls for shredding regulations to curb greenhouse gas pollution from cars, oil and gas wells and power plants, dismantling almost every clean energy program in the federal government and boosting the production of fossil fuels, the burning of which is the chief cause of planetary warming. The plan basically says society will not spend anything to address climate change, but will leave it for future generations to spend trillions. And now we turn to Zero Rose as he speaks with Stephen Stewart of the Indiana Forest Alliance about threats to wildlife in our state, some hopeful signs of recovery, and the lineup of the Ancient Forests Initiative Roundtable this weekend in Bloomington. The roundtable will include an activist working to stop Cop City, a police training facility and film studio, studio poised to destroy an urban forest in Atlanta, Georgia. And keep in mind that way planning is going now transit would be here instead of auto heaven. Um, they're already in negotiations with Chuck Money Warner. Uh, I'm not sure what they'll do with that ain't but um, I don't care for it anyway. So. <laughs> We'll put it in your yard uh, in place of the uh, planter that got cream. Then somebody will just run it. Yeah, there you go. That would be the end of it. Yeah, I mean, and, and I doubt that there would be egress for the for the buses, you know, on to uh, Allen here. Uh, there just wouldn't be room. Uh, there'll still be storage express. But it won't it won't be as much as before, and we already don't have the uh, the motorcycle shop on the corner of, of uh, Walnut and and Allen, uh, and that was one of the things that uh, that's one of the reasons why the uh, the traffic island on on Walnut is is a bit odd because it was truncated because they felt like oh well we we need to be able to get our semis in and out. Anything you can do would help, yeah, because it's, it's dangerous. Well, if the transit center is really moving down here, that'll have much bigger effect, isn't it? 
Yeah, I did think. Electric buses and charging stations. Pennies. Many pennies. All that how many zeros you put on the number. I have a question. I know this could be rumors that it's not really part of the project, but do you have any news on that that bridge that's blocked off? I do not. Uh, the last I heard, which is probably what even everybody else knows, is that it's about a three to five year timeline on that. Um, that's just what I saw on the on the city webpage a few months ago. Um, but it's still open to pedestrians and cyclists, just not motor vehicles because of the weight constraints on it. But that's about all I know. The county is responsible for this. And last I heard, the county isn't planning to. Because it's in the city, and the city and the county don't get along. Well, I don't know if that's the reason. Or it's just maybe they think there wasn't a lot of car traffic. I don't know why. By the way, one of the things that I thought was brilliant was uh, where they've uh, used the, the, the scrap limestone uh, on either side of, of some of the speed pillows uh, uh, along, you know, especially, yeah, uh, this side of, of Rogers on, on Allen and then on uh, Madison. And it turns out that that's. When, when they cut the limestone out in the quarry, this is what the guy said, when they cut the limestone out in the quarry, that's just something they whack off because it's not, it, you know, the, the slabs are not the dimension that they want. So, you know, that stuff is really cheap. And we're used, we're used to seeing limestone in every configuration. I haven't noticed those. Are those to prevent people from driving? I'm using people's yards as the way to go around the speed fish. And I don't think the snow uh, the fish and wildlife service is getting from all the surveys and what we were able to uh, see as well. And in, in, at the same time, um, the Forest Service was actually doing their own netting, and their results were very similar to ours uh, in the Buffalo Springs area in Orange County of the Hoosier National. Um, we did, we did, we monitored audio calls, uh, and they actually did audio calls and uh, mist netting. They call it where they it, it's not harmful to the bat, but it catches them in, in like a large spider web like net. Uh, and they were able to identify uh, endangered species down there as well, including the northern long ear. So, um, so these are exciting times, you know, to, in, in the preserving the wildlife of our, of our Indiana forest. And are they being uh, threatened nearby by the uh, proposed prescribed uh, burning and logging? So, so yes, um, that potentially yes, and that's why that the uh, um, Forest Service has been longer in, in analyzing um, the data from the in, in environmental uh, impact statement that they did um, for for the project of Buffalo Springs, um, and, and they've been working with the Fish and Wildlife Service as we have been, uh, and they've been really to uh, because they're concerned uh, as as much as we are with the, you know the lives. Uh, of these of these uh, wonderful wonderful animals, these bats, uh, and so um, they have been looking at that as well. Yes, and uh, we've we've had uh, reports of uh, West Nile virus in the mosquitoes in Monroe County, and uh, I, I presume some of these species are what feeds on those, right? Oh, most definitely, most definitely, yeah, um, it certainly is. 
And uh, I understand you guys are um, uh, looking for people to donate artwork or items for a silent auction next month. Are, are you having much success with uh, people giving uh, donations for that? Yeah, we are very, very active uh, in our programming and what we've been doing. The the staff has been very diligent and busy and our volunteers uh, working together. And we are preparing for our forage feast uh, next month and as a member appreciation event uh, that will be held at the Story Inn. Um, and we have a local chef here in Bloomington of uh, uh, the Feast Restaurant uh, that will be helping uh, to cook that meal for everyone. And yet we have been receiving uh, some donations. However, you know, the... the uh, um, the the uh, funds, you know, we're a nonprofit. Uh, you know, we have a very small, limited staff uh, with a large volunteer base. Um, but in order to do this this type of work, as, as like what we're doing with the Eagle Blitz, and uh, which we had insects in the spring, where we identified a unknown species of, in, of bee that had never been um, discovered in, in, in Indiana, uh, as well as um, an unrecorded science, as well as the bat surveys, work we've done with the hellbender, um, the work we work with daily with archaeological resources uh, in the Hoosier National with the Forest Service archaeologist. Um, these are all very important programs that we do, but they are costly. Uh, and, and so even though we are getting, you know, uh, wonderful, wonderful items donated at this point and a lot of, lot of uh, interest, uh, it's it's important that we get more uh, to continue this, you know, work that uh, to save our public forest ac across the state and, and even in through the region because we're losing our forest across the uh, nation uh, and the globe uh, at unprecedented rates. So um, all that, help uh, you give us is well appreciated. And uh, so you just discovered a, uh, a new bee? Yeah, um, la last season, uh, the season before this one, they had they had uh, discovered an un uh, in March, uh, April, and May into June. Uh, we did our eco blitz with the insects and the bees, and they had identified one of our bio entomologists uh, identified one of the bees that we collected uh, as one that had never been recorded to science. Uh, so we're analyzing all of the the massive amounts of insects that we collected um, from these traps in the early spring. They're analyzing the data now to see if they have more uh of the species um so that they can get m more accurate uh information about them by you know recording what they look like and, and their uh their characteristics um but yeah there's there's a whole lot of life in the forest that you know we know of and there's a whole lot more that we're not even unaware of and we're, we're discovering daily uh the interactions of everything it's a very complex system uh, and so it takes a lot of a lot of painstaking research and, and a lot of uh boots on the ground as they say uh out and actually you know going through these um forests and, and really recording what we're seeing um and also remarkably it was wonderful uh we saw uh, three scratch trees uh for where bobcats are and we were able to catch bobcat uh family on um tape as well uh, which we're processing that too to be we'll release that in the future as well but uh, um you can see our bat uh, video if you go to Facebook or Instagram and you can see the Indiana bat uh, and uh, up up close and personal so and uh, you've got this uh, ancient forest initiative roundtable coming up uh, this weekend at the uh, auditorium at, on Kirkwood and Bloomington at the library and I see you've got kind of a lineup of speakers I yeah. think that go on for a few hours. 
Absolutely. So we are going to be meeting at the at the um, main branch on Kirkwood Avenue of the Monroe County Public Library in the auditorium at 10.30 a.m. this Saturday, August 19th. Uh, and we'll be going until 1 o'clock. There'll be light refreshments. Um, but we will be, It's uh, we have some co-sponsors. CATS uh, is going to be live streaming in it on, on Bloomington's Community Access Television Network. Uh, as well as we'll be recording that event as well uh, so that we can use it in, in, in future uh, uses. But uh, everybody has a, um, a say in the future of our, of our public forest, of our public land, uh, and the, you know, the animals that live there, the insects that we've been discussing, uh, and you know, the trees and the recreational uses. And so we invite everybody uh, to come out uh, to hear first. We'll have a, a opening remarks and welcome from Andy Mahler, uh, resident of Orange County and a co-founder of Indiana Forest Alliance back years ago and also Protect Our Woods uh, in 1985. Uh, he'll be he'll be uh, addressing everybody and, and welcoming them. And then we have a special guest, uh, local Bloomington resident, Maggie June Gates, uh, who is a public forest advocate as well. Uh, and uh, not just here in, in the state are we facing issues as we are today, uh, but also uh, she went down to Atlanta uh, near the formation of what they've come to be called uh, terming cop city uh, and to protect the public force there um, and she'll tell her story uh, and, and what she's experienced uh, there with that that struggle with those public forests in Atlanta and then um, I will speak and give an update on uh, everything that is happening uh, some of it we've touched on today uh, within the Hoosier National Forest and, and the, both the Buffalo Springs project the Houston South project and also a bit on the state forest as well uh, that that's happening and then we'll open the floor for discussion um, to where you know everybody can share their ideas their experiences um, and you know spread the word uh, of uh, you know to be aware uh, you know, in order to be active, in order to make a difference, we have to be aware. So, uh, you know, come, share your stories, learn more, ask questions, uh, and we'll go forward and, and really try to um, uh, make a difference in our own world here close by. This is In Nature. The barn owl is present on every continent except for Antarctica, yet in Indiana this owl has been on the state's endangered list since the early 1980s. Barn owls are 16 inches tall, weigh around one pound, and their wingspan is almost four feet. This owl has light reddish brown feathers with dark eyes surrounded by a heart-shaped white face. As barn owls are not well suited for cold winter, they are more common in southern Indiana. Once numerous in Indiana, barn owl numbers have been severely impacted by a loss of grassland and prairie hunting grounds and a lack of secure nesting sites. Strictly nocturnal, barn owls are prolific small rodent hunters in open fields, using acute eyesight and hearing to locate their prey. A pair of barn owls can easily take over 100 rodents during their breeding season. Barn owls nest in the cavities of large hollow trees and old barns or silos in rural areas. These owls return to the same nesting site year after year, and clutch size can range from 3 to 11 white eggs. Incubation lasts roughly a month and starts right after the first egg is laid, leading to a brood age range of up to two weeks. Young barn owls beg for food throughout the night starting at dusk. 
Barnell young have a 50% mortality rate while the adults are subject to vehicle collisions, predation by the much larger great horned owl, and by rodent control poison. The population of barn owls in Indiana has been small but stable over the past two decades. Since 1983, Indiana DNR has run a barn owl nest box placement program to help the survival of this beautiful yet quite rare owl species. You've been listening to In Nature, a production of WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. For Eco Report, I am Juliana Daly. And I'm Frank Marshallek. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at Eco Report, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, and soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience in all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. Sycamore Land Trust is hosting a wildflower walk on Saturday, August 19th from 8 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. at the Touch the Earth Natural Area near Columbus, Indiana. Enjoy the prairie habitat on the 10-acre native wildflower meadow with Education Director Mary Wiltz. Sign up at events at sycamorelandtrust.org. Brown County State Park is hosting an event titled Timber, Understanding the Timber Rattlesnake on Saturday, August 19th from 3 to 4 p.m. in the Nature Center. Get an up-close and personal look at Indiana's most venomous and most misunderstood snake. Learn its history and all about venom. And explore Monroe paddling trip at the Car Stop State Recreation Area is scheduled for Tuesday, August 22nd, beginning at 9 a.m. Explore the quieter side of Lake Monroe during this guided paddling trip. Find your new favorite place. Meet at Stip Road. Register at bit.ly forward slash explore dash AUG 22 dash 2023. Are you prepared to survive in the wilderness? Take a wilderness preparedness class at Brown County State Park on Wednesday, August the 23rd from 3 to 3.45 p.m. Watch a presentation and demonstration on the basic steps to be prepared. Learn what you need to bring on your next hike. Archaeology Day at Morgan County Library is scheduled for Saturday, August 26th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. View artifacts and exhibits while learning about Indiana archaeology. There will be a flint napping spear throwing and identification of artifacts.
And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy. Today's news feature was produced by Zero Rose and edited by Noelle Herhusky Schneider. Juliana Daly assembled the script, which was edited by Zero Rose. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Cade Young and Noelle Herhusky Schneider produced today's show. Brandon Blewett is our engineer. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Frank Marshallek. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to The Eco Report. A volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB. In Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.